Welcome to the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. Uh, in this episode, I talked to Ben Beagle, and we were hanging out at a restaurant, so it was a bit of background noise, but I don't think it's too terrible to listen to. Also, I just want to mention I have a print-and-play game I just put up on my website called Tempest Imperium. It's similar to a roll-and-write, except you don't roll any dice. You'll randomize the board based on the date and time, and then that sets your actions. It's an interesting mechanic I'm working on, and I'm looking for feedback on that. So if you want to head over to bluecubeboardgames.com and look for Tempest Imperium, you can check that out, and I would appreciate some feedback. Now, on to the show. So, let's talk about becoming a publisher. How to do it. I don't know. I'm not a publisher. But you know publishers. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to be a publisher, but um, I'm sure there's plenty of examples of how not to be a publisher. That's definitely true, especially with Kickstarter. But you're talking earlier how you have to know where you're going to leap. Yeah. Go into that a bit more. Well, you know, that was more in, in line with the fact that we talk about how I'm not a game designer anymore. I don't call myself a game designer. And it's because within this field, or within any field, you need to know what you want to do. You need to, to know what where you're going to get joy and where you're going to get satisfaction out of something. And everybody's going to get it in a different place. And I found that, for me, it wasn't in doing the homework. For me, it was more in the act of talking to people about ideas and just ruminating on them and going through them in a, in a fun sense or taking somebody else's idea and looking at it from a different angle and having those conversations. Uh, I had a family dinner at a double exposure event a couple of years ago where somebody just sat down next to me and said, so I have an idea for this. And we just started talking about it. And there was nothing going on yet. But by the end of that night, we play tested it and iterated it a couple times just by getting people together. I enjoy that doing somebody else's process and f- helping facilitate that more than I want to do the homework. I don't think I'd want to be a publisher. I wouldn't want the extra responsibility on me um, beyond you know what I'm doing now. If, if I can introduce you to anybody, Chris, I want to be able to do that. If that's going to help you in your journey, in your path, if I can give you advice or things based on experience, that's what I want to do. I have no experience. All of my advice is just, it's things I've thought about. I am no expert on anything, but I can help you talk through your things. And you know, you had mentioned that you were thinking about dabbling in publishing. You thought it might be a fun thing. So like where, I mean, where Fun might be a strong word. Fun might be a strong word. But where, you know, where did that, where did that come from? What, what brought you to that realization? Uh, Part of it is just the interest in the, like the actual process of producing games, manufacturing, retail. Like, it's complicated, but it seems like an interesting problem. Like, two things I wish I had gone to school for are engineering and business, both of which I didn't do, and are things I'm interested in now, but lack most of the training. So, the things I would like to get into, maybe. Is, is that because you don't do them on a daily basis, so they get to stay a hobby? Would You know, Possibly. if you're putting money into it, you know, it, it, it changes the level of involvement for you. 
whether it's your money or somebody else's money, is that something that you'd be comfortable with? Is that something like making that leap? Have you thought about that at all? I have, and that's that's basically what's holding me back. If there was no personal financial risk, I would have tried it already. So there is there is that step you have to take, and I'm, I don't just jump into things blindly. So we know people that are making that risk all the time. Uh, you know, they've but it's taken them years in some cases to get there. Some of them worked through it and realized it wasn't for them. Whether they just bowed out or they went down in flames. There's, there's, you know, Kickstarter is littered with examples of, of all three of those things. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, it's important to know what you want to be and what you want to do and what you're willing to do before you jump into something. Yeah. No, that's it's, that's the question. Is it is it worth the risk? Is it something I really want to do? For some people, it is. Some people want to be able to. You know, I want to facilitate people meeting each other. I want to facilitate ideas blooming. Other people want to facilitate fun. They want to they want to take the joy they have playing a game or playing or having an experience and share that with other people. And that's going to happen in different ways. Um, you know, some people are going to do it by publishing. Some people are going to do it by, you know, making sure that you get to play a certain game and have hopefully an experience they had in that game. There's a lot of party games like that. That there's a, there's a very fun experience that the game is just an excuse to have that experience, and, and that's where they get their joy. And you've got to figure out wh- which one of those you want to be, and if one of those is what you want to be, because we we know publishers that want to do it for the financial gain. We know others that are passionate about it because they want to put their stamp on everything. They want to have their name out there. It's their thing that they did. And there's other publishers that just want to share these things with other people. Which one do you think you would be more of? I don't. I don't think the money is a huge part of it. I would. I would like to get to a point where I can support my game design with publishing game designs. Like like going to conventions and yeah. buying games as research so and that type of stuff. I could zero out on that and then keep a full time job. That'd be a nice place to be. But like right now, game design is a very expensive hobby. So getting more return on that would be nice. Um, but plus, like I said, just I think I would enjoy the other aspects of it beyond just design. So the the problem of figuring out shipping and retail and marketing. These are all interesting things, mm-hmm. but they're not things I'm naturally good at, I would say. So it would be a lot of learning and a lot of time, which time is more important than money in some cases. I mean, you've got experience, you know, figuring things out. You've got experience, you know, just, just building out the process for a game. is just a different process than building out the process for getting that game in people's hands. You know, you've got some marketing experience just with the podcast now. Which is something I have to market more. Yeah. So if you're listening, you're a new listener from my marketing. Nobody knew about this podcast until it happened. That's very true. So, so, you know, what made you take the leap into this podcast? What made you decide that this is something you wanted to do? That was actually a conversation with Daniel Newman and Tony Miller. Okay. We were talking on Twitter. I forget exactly what, but it was... The original idea was to workshop people's game designs, and it was going to be a YouTube show, but video is a lot harder, which I do video professionally, air quotes. Um... I teach video, I should say. Doing it is harder. You video pe- people's weddings and bar mitzvahs? I used to. That's a terrible thing. Weddings are just... Anyway, uh, I teach video production at high school level. Um, so I know video. 
but it is a lot of work, and I don't like being on camera. I don't like being on audio either, but I got over it. So we had this conversation, and I had the idea, and I was like, I'm gonna do this. And I said, I'm gonna do this in the summer, because my schedule is easier in the summer. So at the end of December, I finally started it. Uh, and it, you were doing research that whole time, right? I was. I was like trying to get see if people were interested. I put out a couple surveys of what would you like, how long would you like it to be. Um, in the end, disregarded all of that information. But um, the real push was I just had to start doing it. And I said, anyone want to be on an interview? I recorded two interviews before I launched into January. And then I had already started, so I had to commit. So I was I was doing um, one show a month at that point. Isn't setting a precedent a horrible thing? It is. It really is. Like that's why we're here recording at Papagino's when I have to release this in a couple days. Well, I'm a little little behind on my schedule. It's okay. That's I mean, well the real. What's the real reason we're here at Papagino's? Ah, the real reason is because you owed me a pizza because I accidentally designed a game one time, which I wrote about on my blog. That's uh, a whole interesting story. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, I mean, so we're here because, uh, you know, somebody we know took this leap. Uh, Jason Tagmeyer took the leap into publishing with Button Shy Games. He's put out a bunch of wallet games. Uh, he's almost up to 40 now. But uh, it, we've had, I've, I've done some development work with Jason on the back end because uh, he's a local designer in the Philadelphia area. And there was a joke during one of the third or fourth campaigns that he did where I asked what stretch goal level on Kickstarter would get me a pony. And he replied, $100,000. And $100,000 at that point seemed so far and above what we could ever possibly do. Um, you know, he was indie designer, indie publishers, doing small campaigns, small games. You know, you have a you have a print run of 1,500 to 2,000 tops. And after the campaign, uh, one of the designers of one of the games actually gave me a picture of a pony with a thank you because it brought more eyes onto the campaign. So turned it into an inside joke that I use as a megaphone on every campaign in the last three years since that if it reaches $100,000 I get a pony and the newest campaign for Sprawlopolis just blew up and you know it did $25,000 in the first day and Jason does short campaigns so it, there was going to be some quick turnaround and when it got to about fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 it was like hey is $100,000 actually in reach so I tweeted out and I said if this campaign reaches $100,000 and I get my pony, I will buy every button-shy designer a pizza to celebrate. We're going to have a big button-shy pizza party across the country. And so for the last uh, week and a half since the campaign ended, I have been ordering pizzas online, over the phone, convincing people that I'm not stealing credit cards. When I call a pizza place and get a pizza delivered somewhere in Utah or Nevada or Texas, and I just happen to be up here for work, and so that's why you and I are meeting up here at Papagino's, because this is your pizza party. Thank you very much. So that's, you know, Jason got to a point where he's the, he could be there now. Jason made enough money so you could buy people pizza. Yes, Jason made money. And I've been telling people, I mean, some people have been very, I don't know, I don't know, are you sure, you don't have to do this, and it's like, I've spent more on dumber things. I've absolutely, I haven't, I haven't backed a Kickstarter project for physical product in 18 months. There's plenty of pizza money right there. I should definitely be doing that too. Well, again, going back to, to the realization about what you what you want and what you are, 
I was at a point where I realized that I needed to stop buying games that I'm supposed to own or games that I think I might like to try. And I need to have games that I know if I look at the shelf and go, that's a game I want to play right now. That's what I need to have. So we're slowly working through that process. But that's another realization I had to go to. I had to come to. You know, you came to a realization about different things. Where did you come to, you know, what made you come to the realization of, like, actually putting your first design on paper? Because that was a step, you know, a while ago. So that was April 2014. Um, I'd grown up playing board games, playing Magic. Mm -hmm. I was never really into the hobby game scene. Uh, it was mostly magic and just things on the periphery. Like I played Carcassonne once, uh, Race for the Galaxy a couple times. Uh, then a friend of mine invited me over to play Eclipse and and also Cutthroat Caverns. But it was definitely Eclipse. So we played Eclipse. I had never played anything like Eclipse in my life. It was massively huge and complex, but also the way it's set up to move discs around it was so smooth and I was really impressed with how you could do that with a game because I mean magic is not really elegant it's a lot of things but I wouldn't call it the most elegant game but Eclipse just had this simplicity to it with all the complexity that was impressive <laughs> so I started designing a game basically the next day and it was terrible it was so bad it was like Risk meets um, Starcraft but much longer than both of those so that was a bomb. But don't ask. Don't ask about the first wallet game I tried to design. Well, now I have to ask about the first wallet so, game. No, it, the first wallet game I tried to design that it, we play tested for a couple months, like Jason, and it was a co-op game. So the first wallet co-op game is Sprawlopolis. Or get it back around. Uh, but we were trying to design one that used, time. that used drafting. Yeah. And it just. It never worked. It, it just didn't work. And I had a couple ideas after that, a couple things that, you know, just, it didn't work. So you're not the only one whose first game sucks. But I hear it's pretty common. Yeah. I but. tell people that, I tell people in my work that the first time they get checked on the work they've done, they're gonna fail. Like nobody passes because you think you know things, but you don't have the realization of the bigger picture. Because you don't have the experience that you need. Well, that's the thing that that first design I was coming off basically basically playing Eclipse like I was almost copying Eclipse bit for bit and then changing it to what I knew which was risk and stuff uh, but I also started listening to podcasts and that that's another addiction of mine so I'm listening to have a long commute so I can listen to five or six hours a day or no that would be too long two to three hours a day <laughs> But now I'm listening at double speed. So it is like six hours a day of podcasts. But once I started listening to that, I started hearing about all these other games, started listening to game design podcasts. Um, and that, like, it just really sparked an idea in my head almost every time I listened to anything. So I'm just listening to Dice Tower, and they're talking about some new game that came out. I'm like, oh, this is a work replacement, this or that. I'm like, I could do a work replacement with this other thing. And that's an idea. So I have this list of, I think I'm up to maybe five or 600 ideas that I haven't gotten to work on. And then another hundred of those are developed into prototypes that I don't play so it's now it's an addiction it's really okay. I don't I don't play prototypes anymore either I was lamenting about this on Twitter the other day that uh because of the, the unpub minis unpub it's my you know relate my relationship and responsibility there even at those events I'm not playing games because I'm facilitating the prototype playing happening so I'm sitting on a different level I was just like I just need to get together with people and play prototypes that they've been playing while I'm there and I didn't get to play 
But that's what you... That was your goal. Yeah, like that's you, one you of like my meeting things. People, yeah. You like introducing people. Exactly. So there are some downsides to that, just like there's downsides to other things that we've talked about. There's downsides to publishing, you know? Do you really want to come home after work and, you know, two to three hours a day of driving in your car to spend another six or seven hours doing more different work? Maybe. That's that's the big question. Are you are you willing to find out the hard way? I guess we'll find out, listeners. <laughs> Wait, so you know what made you take the leap into publish or to uh, submitting ten games to that uh, first button shy wallet contest? So that was actually pretty early on. Do you remember? Was that twenty fifteen? It was twenty sixteen. It was twenty sixteen. Yeah, it was twenty sixteen. Because we've only we've, we've done two wallet contests in a nano. Was it April or May? It was about that time because we were, we wanted to announce the winners by Origins. Yeah, so it was about almost exactly two years after I started designing. So, like I said, that first game was terrible. Uh, then I came up with the idea for Space Station Disaster, which hasn't gone anywhere since. But um, that got into Boston Fig one year. But I spent a long time working on that. As like I know a lot of early designers, they have their one game they work on. Um, or some professional designers just work on one game, which I can't do that anymore. But um, I was working on Space Station Disaster a lot. That's actually, that's how I met Chip. I uh, was going to TotalCon, and he put up a thing saying, I'll playtest your game, because the community helped me. So I playtested with him, and that's how I met him, and he introduced me to a lot of local people in Massachusetts. Um, so that started growing my relationships, just meeting people. And... That was probably how I connected to Buttonshy on Twitter. Found out about that. I think I backed one campaign before the contest came up. And at that point, I was I was getting very into contests with the Game Crafter. So Buttonshy came up like, oh, here, design wallet games. I'm like, that's easy. It's not easy, listeners. It's not easy at all. But you should try it. It's great. Uh, so I just started designing. This contest going on right now that should be still going on when this camp when this. Oh post. yeah, this this goes on Wednesday. So this okay, is, so yeah, so it's I mean that ends uh, July twenty something. Yeah, somewhere in July. Go to GenCant.com. Button Shy and GenCant are putting on a design contest to design a wallet game. It's 18 cards, and there's a post there. It'll tell you all the information you need. I get to be a judge. Me too. But um. Yeah, so I actually designed a lot more than just those 10 games. I think probably did around 15 or 20. How many came from your list of 500 ideas? Oh, those are all new. Okay. I did not... Actually, one. In Vino Morte, it was actually an older idea. It's um, it like a year earlier, I found, because I just wrote about it a couple weeks ago, and um, I found the original design document for it. It was basically the uh, Battle of Wits. It was originally a two-card game. I'm like, this is easy. How come no one's done it? And then uh, that idea came back for the wallet. I was like, oh, this is easy, and threw that in there. Never tested it, as you know that story. <laughs> I know. I judged all ten games. <laughs> Did you? No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Jason Mullins and I check them all just to get different different opinions, different views, different things. And we have discussions on the back end as we're doing it, too. So I'd say overall they were all underdeveloped. But they weren't playtested at all. Everyone was accepted Vino Morte. Okay. That's the more ridiculous part. Everything else had been tested well, a little. Have you talked about the, what happens after that here? I think we I think we talked about Vino Morte a bit at, um, at Unpub or Metopia. Okay. Something. Yeah. Where it was another judge 
really liked it. It wasn't a finalist. It was not a finalist. But convinced us to play it. And it grew out of that. So somebody else still had to take a leap to make sure that it got some eyes beyond those who had already seen it and dismissed it because they hadn't had that experience maybe that they needed. So don't just design the perfect game. Also get lucky. And now it's sold out at PAX. Which, I mean, he only brought less than 50 copies to back, so... But he's, it's still selling. Well, it's not anymore because it's sold out completely. You, it's getting a second And round. you can't play that game with a deck of cards. Anybody who tells you that is a liar. <laughs> it is different. It's a very different feel. No, it is, it is very different feel. You mentioned you, you designed a two-card game. I designed a two-card game. I designed a three-card game that went in the wall, or the uh, Game of the Month Club. Yeah? Yeah. Which one? I, it's Rock, Paper, Kittens. It's it's the stupidest game. So it's it, you've got the three cards, the rock, paper, and scissors. And it's a kitten's hand doing the motions. So it became rock, paper, kittens. Um, because it was just all I put was RP and S on a card, on a piece of paper. And what would happen is, is as the active player, I pick up two of them. And I keep one. And then I offer you one of the other two. And you have to decide if you take that one or the other one. And that's what we play in Rock, Paper, Scissors. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it was in a, like June or July that year. Stupid little three-card thing. Three-card games are interesting. There's, there's a lot of mind games that can happen in small packages, you know? It's The other one that I did that hasn't gone anywhere is... It was a criminal mask and a sheriff's badge. That's all the cards were. And I rules are just what's that? No, no. So, so, so then I would take the card, and I would pick one of the two cards just at random. I look at my card, and if I'm the criminal, I don't want you to take the other card at all and become the police officer, because then you catch me. But if if I picked up the sheriff's badge, I want you to take the criminal, because then you take the criminal role. I catch you in the act, and I catch you. So it's that same battle of wits with an extra layer added on that's just stupid and dumb but it was a silly idea that I did as much homework as I'm willing to do on it I think that could work I mean it worked it technically works but it's where do you go you're not going to play it ten times I mean some people there are those people but if you want that battle of wits the the battle of wits that, that Invino Morte has because of the group setting because of the unknown amount of you know poison it just adds an extra layer of, of things. Yeah. And and there's that uncertainty of who's going to be the first to reveal and how much information did that give away. So it does does those extra things that this just doesn't need to be there. Like, Buttonshy doesn't need six more games that do Battle of Wits. Well, I mean, they had yours twice. <laughs> Very true. But yeah, I think it, like the large group does add a lot to it because I've played it, I've actually played it mostly with small groups because it's hard to get seven people together. But at two people, it's great once, and it's funny twice, and a third game can be played. But after that, you're done. Everybody wants to be the host. Everybody wants to be the host because everybody wants to kill somebody or kill more than one person or at least set it up. With big groups. Would Chris really kill me or would he kill Susie? (laughs) Both. He wouldn't kill himself. 
Oh, he killed himself and Susie. And I fell for it. <laughs> but... So you think the next step for that from that is publishing? Yeah. I mean, what would you would you look to publish something small or something big? Um, so I would start with one of my own designs and most likely just cards. So I have a couple designs that are just 54 card decks or 54 cards and some coins. So I would go something like that, something very very simple to produce because production is massively complicated, even when it's simple. Would you stick with just your own? designs or would you solicit other people or um, I would start with just my own um, so I'm friends with Carla Kopp of Weird Draft and Dan Let's Ring of Lightning Games and both of them they started with their own design and then as they built up they brought another designer so I think that that path makes the most sense so I don't want to fail first with someone else's design because I feel like I owe them if I fail with my di- design whatever that's on me if you let yourself down versus letting yourself and somebody else exactly but if it works out, you get the knowledge, maybe do a second design of mine, maybe someone else's, depending on what's there. I know a lot of designers, I'm at a lot of meetups, so I have access to a lot of games looking for publishers, mm-hmm. so. What type of, I mean, what what niche do you think you'd carve out? Would you just like whatever, or would you look for certain types of games or certain styles of games? So or? that's, that's, I mean, that's all stuff that's. I play everything, I like everything, so. But what do you want, would you want everything to represent from a marketing perspective? It's tough. Like I look at other companies, like like Button Shy has the wallet game niche. Although thematically and mechanically, they're all over the place. But the the packaging is their thing. Um, well, and Green Couch has the small box and yeah. filler games that all fit in that same box, even though they're thematically different games. Same thing with Gamelin and the Tiny Epic series, mm-hmm. though they've branched out a little bit. But still, that series is very focused only on the box size. Everything else is different. So box size and weight. I mean, since I started designing 54 card games, or 54 cards and some coins, I think that could maybe be a line of, like, a small packaging. Because you can do a lot with cards, and a lot more with cards when you add coins. So, maybe something like that. Or, maybe just shotgun approach and grab whatever, and just be a massive designer that gets bought up by Asmodee. That's the real goal. Is that the real goal? Sure. That's my retirement Before plan. or after they get bought out? Either way, whichever one's a better price for me. <laughs> but you're a public servant. You should already have the good Yeah. So, I mean, what other things? Are there any other things in, in game design or, or game playing or the whole tabletop that you'd want to be a part of or that you thought about dabbling in and maybe chose not to? Is there? Is there anything besides because you're blogging, writing, you're blogging? Oh, video. I'm really thinking about starting to do videos. So like I said, the original idea for the show was um, like workshopping someone's game on video. I was thinking of adding that to the show. But... um, I think that's the last thing. <laughs> Publishing and video. Oh, I can goal- be a manufacturer. That's the that's the next level. That's where the real money is. Just gonna get a print. Just get a press. Stick it in your driveway. I don't have a very big driveway. So get a big offset press. Yeah. Games by Chris. Be a good half million dollar investment. Uh, in the USA. Grants start with a thousand dollar plan. It's a, yeah. it's a little level above that. Mm. Well, 
But that's just to get the game made. True. Well, I can do marketing. That's interesting. There's so many aspects. I love it all. I'm addicted to games. I wish I could play wanna, them more. But do you, so would you want to do all of them, or would you want to specialize? Does this, do, are you, do you enjoy the shotgun approach, doing a little bit of everything? I kind of do. I like. I don't like doing the same thing over and over. I get bored with repetition. That's which, something that somebody else brought up this week on Twitter. Yeah? Yeah, they, they talked. What's that? Be being bored with repetition? Being burnt out on things after a year or two. Like if they get, they get into something, get into a hobby, or get into an activity, and after a year or two, they, they get burned out on it, and they were asking how people keep it fresh and how people, people keep it going. So, and I guess maybe you're doing that by trying all these new things every couple of years. I, I think I avoid being burned out by obsession. Like, I'm obsessed with game design, so I I can't really get burned out for long. Um, and like I said, I get a lot of my ideas from podcasts. So if I'm on vacation for a week and not going to work and not listen to podcasts, I just stop designing games. Like, I don't even think about it for a week. Unless I have a deadline or something, but it's so I have those breaks every once in a while. But I never feel burnt out. I feel like I really feel like I could not stop. Like I've thought about how much time it takes up in my life mm-hmm. and how I would be maybe better off as a person if I stopped designing games, just from a time management perspective. But I cannot imagine that world. Like I could stop prototyping. I could stop going to play tests. I could stop buying games. But I would always be thinking about it. Like I cannot actually imagine a world where I'm not thinking about game design. And how do you find the time to make sure you can actively be involved in it instead of just... Like, I enjoy the thinking process, but the doing is something I have no interest in. I'm bad at time management, so I don't know. Well, I'm not sure if you saw it, but Isaac Schlepp wrote a couple weeks ago about... uh, how people complain that they don't have time to do stuff, they don't have time to, to design or play test and things like that. And he said, think of how much time you spend watching a series on Netflix. Don't do that. I think... Like, there's ways to do it where you lose your time. Yeah. And you can get it back, so... I mean, if I stopped watching shows on Netflix and Hulu, that would, that would be a lot of time. But... That's another addiction I have to um, stick with. Just to consume and consume? I just get rid of the sleeping and eating, so the unimportant stuff. You can eat while watching Netflix. True. And recording a podcast. It's all about multitasking. That's the trick. Design a game while you're eating, while you're watching, while you're driving. Speaking of another stupid game I've been involved in, what pizza topping is Han Solo? What pizza topping is Han Solo? Uh, chorizo. Okay. He's Why? Spicy. Yeah. I can see that, but I think it's more because he's got a strong presence, but he can still work with all of the other meats and a meat lovers. But you still know he's there. Oh, you definitely know he's there. I haven't seen Solo yet. I haven't either. I'm going to see it tonight. I've heard mixed things. What else am I going to do? Sit in my hotel room and watch National Geographic? I'm sure I'll love it. Design a game I'm not going to do the homework on? Every Star Wars game just gets mixed reviews now. It's our movie, whatever they're called. It's because more people have voices. More people have, have have an outlet to, you know, it used to be I say something to you, and you say something to Billy, Billy says something to Susie, but now I say it with a bullhorn on the internet to 5,000 people. He says on the podcast. We're not at 5,000 people, though. But... In general, like I can get on Twitter, I can get on these, you know, people have an opportunity for a voice that maybe they didn't 
even when the prequels came out. Definitely, yeah. The prequels came out when I was in high school, and the internet was a I was different in thing back then. It was a thing. I'm old. <laughs> but, alright, I think that's, that's enough of recording, talking about whatever we're talking about. Talking about, you know, finding your place, deciding what it is, before, or deciding what you want out of things before you actually jump in. Look before you leap, just like Merlin said. Nobody's turning into a dragon on this podcast today. All right, so uh, contact info. Anyone wants to follow you on wherever? If they want to follow me on Twitter, it's really hard. I'm some fat kid, S-U-M fat kid. If you need to call me, it's 1-800-BEN. That's, that's not a real number, just so you know. All right, thank you for coming on. And thank you for the pizza. That's all for this episode. You can find show notes for all episodes at theboardgameworkshop.com. Follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop. Like the show on Facebook and join the show's Facebook group to talk about episodes and game design. If you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to questions at theboardgameworkshop.com. Thanks for listening.